2: Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, State Planning Attorney Bob Bergman, broadcasting from my office in San Jose, California, in the Cambrian Park neighborhood, if you're familiar with that neighborhood. I was uh, off the air the last couple of weeks. A couple weeks ago, it was kind of um, a little bit under the weather, and then last week I was with my family down in Southern California, visiting uh, Universal Studios. Disneyland and Disney California Adventure. Uh, we had a good time. It was just enough time there, so we weren't completely exhausted by the time we came home uh, a week ago today. In fact, a week ago at this time, we had just arrived home from our vacation trip. No vacation uh, here in the Christmas season, though. My office will be open Uh, Through the Christmas season, with the exception of uh, the day before the uh, uh, Christmas weekend and uh, the probably the day before New Year's as well, the Friday before each of those weekends. Um, But I am going to be open, so if you have been putting off getting your planning done, time to get started now before the end of the new year. Um, You know, get your New Year's resolution to get your estate planning done. Get it started early. Um, I am going to be available, as I said, through the end of the year. I'm not going out of town. So this is a good time. Uh, It's going to be a quiet time for a lot of people. A lot of companies will be closed for a while there. Here's your chance to actually come and meet with me and get your planning started. You can go to my website at LawBob L A W. B-O-B dot com. Easy to remember. I practice law. My name is Bob. LawBob.com. And there you can actually book a free consultation with me. It can either be on the telephone. It can be by a Zoom meeting or in person in my office here in San Jose. I urge you to consider doing that. Um, time is open. In the next couple of weeks, I do have times available. I do have uh, a pretty heavy schedule, but I always have times available every week for people to book consultations with me. I'm going to follow my usual format today of covering questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, here's one out of San Diego. Which uh, just came in, uh, just came in this morning, a few hours ago. And the question was this: Is it normal procedure to file probate and request authorization to administer under the Independent Administration of Estates Act? And a follow-up question: What is a probate referee? Well. The first question, the Independent Administration of Estates Act, is a law here in California found in the probate code that basically says that the personal representative appointed by the court in a probate, whether it's the executor of a will or the administrator of the estate, if there is no will, is given the authority to take various actions without having to have them... Uh, have them all confirmed or approved by filing uh, in court. For example, the most common reason to do that is so that the executor or administrator of the estate can actually negotiate and sell property of the estate, such as real estate, and then just get approval from the heirs of the estate And file uh, what's called a notice of proposed action with the court and then probably also waivers of the notice and consents to the action meaning the sale of the property with the court without having to set a court hearing to approve the sale of the property now if there's a court hearing to approve the sale of property that actually gets published um, the notice gets actually published and, uh, and there's an actual hearing to approve the sale. And when you do that, there may be people who can come in to that hearing and overbid the uh, whoever was trying to purchase the property. So you can actually end up with an auction in the courtroom going on. Many people are not interested in getting into that kind of a circus atmosphere So the Independent Administration of Estates Act would permit the sale to be handled privately without going through all sorts of uh, court confirmation. And for many people, that is uh, considered a, a major advantage to independent administration of estates. Now, probate referee. Interesting how it's named probate referee. I mean, when you think of referee, you actually think of someone wearing a striped shirt, uh, cap, blowing a whistle, calling penalties, signaling first down, signaling passes complete, not complete, or touchdown. Um, But a probate referee is the formal title for a professional engaged by the court to appraise certain types of property in a probate estate. The property subject to appraisal includes real estate, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, works of art, precious metals, and similar types of assets. It also includes appraising any retirement plans actually owned by the person when they died um, it doesn't mean that the retirement plans are part of the probate, but they're supposed to be listed in an inventory of, um, of assets of the estate, meaning of the person who died, and then valued. The probate referee is typically a professional appraisal. There's several uh, here in Santa Clara County. There's, I think, five of them. And they get appointed by the court on a rotating basis. You know, a new matter comes in and the next one on the list is appointed by the court. Um, So that person is responsible for doing an appraisal of the assets of the estate, which is then filed with the court. And then the probate referee gets paid a commission based on the value of the Estate, the um, appraised value of the estate, and that's basically a tenth of a percent of the value. So it's not a huge amount of a fee, but with a large estate, it can be, it can still be fairly substantial. So that's what the probate referee is. And um, so that answers that question right there. Okay, so let's move on to. Another one, we, we don't have much time left in this first segment, but let's see if I can get a more straightforward one that I can answer right away. Oh, from San Diego. Is it a legal requirement that the person named as the agent in a power of attorney be the same person as the trustee of a trust? Says my wife is the trustee of her mother's trust and also her medical health care agent under a medical advanced health care directive. She's in declining health and needs a durable power of attorney. That's one for finances. Can one of my wife's sisters fill that role and leave my wife in her current roles? Answer is absolutely yes. Not unusual for different people to actually be named as um, agents on a healthcare power of attorney, financial power of attorney, or trustees of a trust. There's no requirement that it be the same person handling all of those various jobs. So we're coming up on the end of the first segment today. I want to let you know that uh, there's three more segments in the show. We're going to cover more questions and comments from around the state of California. So stay tuned for more Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. Catch you after the break.
1: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Hi, welcome back to the second segment of the show today. Out of Tracy, California, comes a question. Actually, a pretty involved situation. So let's see if we can simplify it. Person said, mom recently passed away. I've learned that the person she married convinced her to void her original living trust, create a new trust, as well as create and execute a marital property agreement, which put her separate property into, a, into community property. In addition, my mom was convinced to do a separate transmutation specific to her real property as their home. Now, what a transmutation is, is where someone takes property that is separate from the marriage, their own separate property separate from the marriage, and they transform it, transform the type of ownership, in this case, from separate property to community property, which is property owned by the husband and wife or the husband and husband, wife and wife in the marriage. This person said, I've consulted with a few attorneys been told this is unusual. They haven't seen this done before. I'm certain my mom had no idea what she was doing and that her spouse heavily influenced these decisions. I have some proof the spouse did not like me or my sister, so we're willing and prepared to contest this, but it's looking like it's a challenge to find the right attorney. This spouse did several things to isolate my mother from me and my sister for the last months of her life. And we held off calling the police to report suspected elder abuse because we didn't think it would reach this level. Well, it could very well be, depending on the age of the mother and, uh, and especially if there was isolation going on there and cutting off contact between the mother and the children. That is kind of a classic sign that there was funny business going on. That's the legal term, by the way, funny business. Um, in a case like this, I would suggest the people actually go to the district attorney. It's not the police, but go to the district attorney in the county where this is taking place, and talk to them about whether or not the actions being taken by the step parent, in reference to the parent were in fact overreaching and were in fact elder abuse of some kind. If that's the case, they may be able to get this undone and get all of the actions that were taken reversed by a court. It is going to be an uphill battle, though, because the presumption is going to be that the mother knew what she was doing and intended that result, and they'd have to be prepared To prove that the mother lacked capacity or that the stepfather lied to their mother about the effect of what was being done or or other factors. It's not going to be an easy job for them to overcome what actually was happened, or actually what what, what happened. Uh, Not saying it's impossible, but it's not going to be easy at all. Out of Los Angeles, California. Person says, My wife and I have a house held in a revocable trust. I want to terminate the trust and she doesn't. I want to get my house out of the trust. Can I do that without court intervention if my wife does not want to do this? Or how would I do this? She's the other trustee besides me. Well, the short answer is the the trust. You look at the trust first, see if it has provisions that authorize either spouse to cancel any transfer of property into the trust to restore the property back to the form of ownership it had before it was transferred into the trust, but generally speaking, there would be authority to uh to cancel the trust by declaring. Uh, I hereby cancel the trust. The person could turn around and also create a new will uh, to leave their property somewhere else other than to their spouse. But if you're in a situation like this, you probably have bigger problems than just canceling a trust. Because it sounds like you're probably on the verge of the marriage ending and I don't know that that uh, getting the property out of the trust is. That's probably the least of the issues at this point. Out of Laguna Beach, California, person says uh, family trust was drawn up in 1998, with a will in 2006. My daughters' birth names are stated in both as beneficiaries and as executors. Do I need to amend the documents to reflect their new married names through a codicil to the will or an amendment to the trust typed by me and notarized? Um, The simplest way to make changes without redoing both documents would be the best for monetary reasons. Yes, you can do a codicil to the will that's typed up, signed, and witnessed that says, Jane Smith is now known as Jane Williams um, and then uh, an amendment to the trust that pretty much says the same thing not absolutely necessary that it be done because just because someone's name changed because they took a different name when they got married doesn't necessarily mean that um, that everything needs to be excuse me, everything needs to be updated uh, to reflect the new name. Uh, they're still the same person, even if their name has changed. So that doesn't really change anything. Um, but certainly it would be pretty straightforward to, to correct both of those items pretty simply, um, just in writing, without it being a major um, a major effort on your part even attaching a note to both indicating what the new names are probably would be sufficient right there okay here's someone out of anderson california wants to know uh, says my my grandmother couldn't inherit from my grandfather's trust when my uncle became her agent under a power of attorney, he took over the property and refuses to show anyone the original copy of the trust. He won't let anybody on the property that was set up for myself and my children and so on. How can I find out what happened? Well, if the uncle's refusing to share that information, you literally might have to go to court to demand a copy of the trust be turned over. If it's not done voluntarily, it may require having a court compel that to be done or in the alternative, having the uncle removed from any position of authority for the failure to provide what may be legally required to be provided. We're coming up on the mid-show break and uh, when we return for the second half of the show, there'll be more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll see you on the other side of the break.
1: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: And welcome back to the second half of the show today. Okay. Um, let's see. We'll go to a couple more here. We've got um, out of Victorville, California. says... My landlord died two years ago and all of the landlord's children are asking me for the rent money. None of them have showed proof of who owns the house, but I know it's in a family trust. What should I do and who do I give the money to? Two years ago. I guess the person said they've been renting for 21 years. So what where have they been paying the rent money the last two years, or have they just not been paying rent money at all? But in general, if someone can't prove that the rent money is supposed to go to them, if it's still owned by the trust, it's supposed to be paid to the trust, whoever the trustee of the trust is. The trustee of the trust should be able to take over and demonstrate that they're now the person to receive the funds made payable to the trust. I mean, ultimately, uh, ultimately, um, I would probably just take and put the funds into an account, uh, pay the rent into an account that that uh, I, uh, that identifies the trust or something to that effect. And let the family know you need to let me know who this is supposed to go to because I'm not going to pay rent to somebody that i i don't know is legally able to receive it um that you know because i wouldn't want to pay rent to someone and then have someone else come back and say oh you're supposed to pay it to me so pay me the rent uh, i would tell them go after that person because they they're the ones i paid the rent to because they claimed that they were entitled to it really kind of more of a landlord tenant question than anything else but it could touch uh, tangentially touch on uh, on estate planning, which is why I ventured to to answer it in uh, in a limited way. Okay, from Redding, California. Okay, so there is a trust where, where um, that identifies two of my three sons as beneficiaries, and it's an irrevocable trust. I would like to amend the trust legally binding with only one son as a beneficiary. Am I allowed to make those changes? The short answer is yes, no, or maybe. Yes, if you go to court and convince a court that one of the beneficiaries should be removed and the beneficiary being removed consents to that. No, if you believe that it's an irrevocable trust and that means it really can't be changed. And maybe, again, if you can get a court to agree with that. I think it would be very unlikely that that a court would just remove one of the beneficiaries from the trust uh without the consent of that beneficiary. So I think the short answer overall is no, you can't get rid of one of your children as a beneficiary of an irrevocable trust. Whoever set up that irrevocable trust did that for a reason. And you can't just unilaterally decide, I don't like that anymore and change the terms. And that's why. Now here... Someone said, um, trying to help my sister who receives state disability payments but is due to inherit $78,000 from a mutual fund, doesn't want to lose her disability, so she needs a special needs trust or other solution and needs to get it done quickly. Well, uh, that came in, unfortunately, when I was out of town, and I have no way to respond to anything like that when I'm out of town. But yes, this person could set up a first party special needs trust, have the money go in there and not lose whatever benefits they're receiving from the state. Now, this type of trust has a requirement that on the death of that person, the state gets paid back any monies that they were paying, assuming that the monies that they were paying was needs based Payments. Uh, Disability payments from disability insurance don't fit in that category um, as a general rule, but that is what the person could do. They could actually set up a special needs trust called a first party special needs trust. First party meaning it's the person's own property going in there, and it would mean that the uh, the The property would be used to reimburse the state for any eligible reimbursement when that person dies. Okay, this is an interesting one out of San Rafael. It says during my marriage, my wife was trustee of her aunt's trust, and she took over two hundred thousand dollars more than the other two beneficiaries of the trust received. Trust prescribed equal distributions to her and the other beneficiaries. During divorce, she's naturally claiming that all of it is separate property. Is that wrongfully obtained money income and thus community property? (laughs) Let's start first by saying, first of all, it's a separate inheritance. So it's not community property. It's not part of the marriage. Number two, you don't want to be any part of that. Because if she took $200,000 more that she wasn't entitled to, that's called conversion or embezzlement. That's actually a crime. You don't want to be anywhere near that crime. So apparently your ex-wife illegally unlawfully stole $200,000 or at least two thirds of that amount from the other two beneficiaries, because presumably she would have been entitled to a third of that, um, a third of that uh, extra $200,000. But that is illegal, unlawful, and could end up with the person's wife uh, ending up in jail at the very least, having a court order her to pay to the other beneficiaries what they were supposed to receive, what they were entitled to receive, and in fact did not receive. So it's kind of an interesting situation that's being uh, proposed there. Okay, San Francisco, California... Long story short, a family member passed away with an outstanding debt on their home. The debt is old, and the lender and trustee on the deed of trust are out of business, but there is a beneficiary. Problem is, no one has any documentation of the original loan or what payments were or weren't made. How does this get resolved? Is there an easy way to avoid court? Well, that's a very complicated question. If the deed of trust is more than 10 years old, actually more than four years old, and no payments were made for the last four years, then that means that that loan probably no longer exists because no action was taken to enforce the promissory note and enforce the deed of trust. I had a kind of similar situation when my uh, second parent passed away and there was an old deed of trust on a property that my parents owned. The deed of trust, the promissory note was due like 10 years earlier. And um, I know my father had made all the payments on it, but the deed of trust was never reconveyed back to my parents after the loan was paid off. Uh, We went to sell the property. The title company said, hey, we have no reconveyance here. And I pointed out to them that by the terms of the deed of trust and the promissory note, the loan had been due well over four years ago. No action was ever taken to foreclose on the deed of trust which means that it effectively the loan didn't exist anymore. And the title company said, you know what? You're right. And they permitted us to sell the property. Um, They just ignored that deed of trust because it was no longer enforceable as a matter of law. So this person in San Francisco needs to find out more details about this deed of trust. That's going to be public record. Um. So uh, the deed of trust is going to at least say this is what was owed and this is what the, uh, when it's due and when the deed of trust, uh, when the loan is due to be paid. So it may be that they can actually get it resolved uh, by working with a title company. Okay, so we're coming up on the end of the third segment of the show today. When I come back, I will finish up the show with um, some more questions and comments. And, uh, and then we'll head off into the weekend. I urge you, now's the time to book a consultation with me. Go to lawbob.com. Click on one of the choices for the consultation. And I can certainly meet with you before the end of the year to get your estate planning started before the new year. Get that New Year's resolution out of the way early. Get it started now. So we'll be back after this final break for the final segment of the show.
1: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. All
2: right, welcome back to the final segment of our show today out of Los Angeles. Someone asked... If me and my spouse die, say, in a car accident, what do we have to do now to make sure our son gets the rights to our home, plus bank accounts, and also our retirement money? In other words, everything we own. How do we do this to ensure he gets it all if we pass? If you've been listening for any amount of time to my show, I think you all know the answer to that. Do an estate plan so that you're not... Hoping that things will work out all right. Have a trust that owns your house. Plus those accounts. Do special planning if necessary for retirement monies. Make sure that the the son is going to get it when you want it. The way you want it. All of those things. So that was a pretty easy one right there. Okay. Out of South San Francisco. Person asks the question. Uh, says this, I live in California. My wife is the beneficiary to receive my house in my revocable living trust. She's not on the deed. Uh, if I die before her, does she have to pay Proposition 19 reassessment tax on the property when she goes to add her name on the deed after I die? The answer is No. Proposition 19 does not apply at all to transfers between spouses. It only applied to transfers, um, well, in relevant part, only applied to transfers uh, between parents and children and not spouses. So uh, there is no reassessment, uh, what's called an interspousal transfer, There is no reassessment in a case like that. So um, that kind of answers that question right there. And now, let's see. Now, here is a good one. I'm going to read this whole thing because, you know, you have to admit the logic is there. I was reading about estate planning and it seemed complicated and expensive, expensive, like taxes and fees wouldn't it be easier just to liquidate your assets, pension, stocks, a few weeks before your death, and then literally give a check to a relative you'd want everything to go to, like an adult niece, a nephew? The check would be cashed before you died. There'd be no will, no other family with contest, etc. The logic is, the money will be gone, the estate will be insolvent to potential debt collectors... Uh, not any governmental entities like the IRS, and your loved ones got your money. We're talking about more than $100,000 in assets and maybe more than $20,000 in debts. What is the probability the family members who got a check from you will be at risk of having that money taken away if collectors show up? I'm not talking about the morality or ethical standpoints of ignoring earthly debts left behind. Strictly the legal question. (laughs) Well, first of all, if you can predict a few weeks before you're going to die, unless you're planning on ending your own life, I don't know how you can say, yeah, I'll just wait till a few weeks before I die, then cash everything in and give it away to my relatives then. I would say, first of all, what if you don't die Now you don't have any money anymore, nothing to live on. So that didn't seem to work out very well. Um, The IRS is probably going to um, want some tax money if anything that you liquidated was a retirement plan like an IRA or a 401k plan. Debt collectors would have a right to go after anybody who... um, who received the money from you, especially if you did that anticipating death, then basically you're making a distribution with the intention of defrauding creditors because you're doing it solely for the purpose of having creditors not be able to receive anything. That is considered uh, fundamentally wrong. And uh, you might very well find that um, that creditors would go after people that you gave the money to because they don't want to end up defrauded themselves. So that's something to consider right there. Something to consider right there. So that's all the questions and comments I have for today. I wanted to just spend the rest of our brief time together talking a little bit about why it's so important to do estate planning. Uh, I bring this up, I mean, that's what I do as an attorney. Um, My show is called Plan Your Estate Radio. That's because I'm a firm believer that you need to get these things taken care of while you're still healthy while you still have your mental capabilities, and while you still have have a chance to take some time to actually plan out what you want to have happen. The fact of the matter is that most people, majority of people, don't do any planning of any kind during their lifetime. And when they don't do any planning, then that means that everyone left behind has to sort things out. So this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. Our show's over for today. Talk with you next week. Until then, have a great weekend. Goodbye, Bay Area.
1: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman